ever after true? I'm more of a chaser, really. In any case, were I to invoke logic, logic clearly dictates that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Welcome to another episode of Chaser After Truth. I am your host, as always, Alejo Enriquez. Part of the inspiration for this podcast actually uh, comes from a video I recorded a, a while ago and put on Facebook. Um, if you're friends with me on Facebook, you might have seen it. Um, but I did a little research since then because I, you know, actually want to get things right here. And uh, what I had thought was actually original, like an idea from antiquity, actually is more recent. So um, there's this idea called the tragedy of the commons. I'll include a link to uh, an article about it uh, for those of you who don't know. Uh, the tragedy of the commons actually was invented as an idea in the 1800s, although uh, we can see it in human behavior going back millennia. The, the original discovery was that um, there were some land in England that were, uh, that were pasture that were privately owned, and the owner would control who was grazing how much on this land. And another land was common land. It was, com- it was the commons. It was for everyone. And uh, the observation was made that the commons, the, the, the public land that was free for anyone to graze on, was very poorly maintained, was in very poor quality compared to the privately owned land. And I think that the reason for this should be fairly obvious. If you've got cows and you want to graze them and there's some free land with some grass on it, you just go there and graze the cows and you're not concerned if... if if how fast that grass grows or if anyone's taking care of it or anything like that, that's all that you're concerned with is how it directly affects you. Um, and that's ultimately the tragedy of the commons is that anything that everyone uses and that no one's in charge of maintaining that is uh, in, in danger of, of becoming a resource that's used up and gets destroyed. You know, the most interesting thing about this, as I did my research, because you know sometimes even really basic ideas we think are obvious are actually uh, actually incorrect. I did a little digging, and uh, there was actually a scientist who won a Nobel Prize in two thousand nine, Eleanor Ostrom, for um, for showing how the tragedy of the commons could be circumvented through community organization. And what's interesting is that there's now like articles and videos saying that the tragedy of the commons has been disproven, which is ridiculous because the tragedy of the commons is, a, is not a thing that happens one time. It's an ever-present threat to any community where there's limited resources and some of those resources are not managed. And uh, it, it blows my mind that some people are, are in the comments of YouTube videos saying, oh, no, there was someone won a Nobel Prize for disproving this. It's like, no... Global warming is the best example you could ever have of tragedy of the commons. No one's in charge of how much CO2 is put into the atmosphere. And so everyone just did it because it was a great way to extract a lot of energy from from fossil fuels and uh, use that energy to build cities nowhere near food supplies like a lot of the Western United States is. And, you know, if you've got enough gas to just truck your food in every day, then you don't need to build your city right next to food. Uh, you know, and, and management of water and all kinds of other resources is also a major concern. So if you go right from this podcast to Google Tragedy of the Commons, you see that someone just proved it. That is not, strictly speaking, true. 
what the Nobel Prize was for was for showing how the, the, the tragedy of the commons can be circumvented by community organization. So this is not, the, which is what I'm about to argue for, as you might be able to guess if you, if you know anything about me. So what the heck does this have to do with Quidditch, the tragedy of the commons? Well, the tragedy of the commons applies to Quidditch in a huge way, which is that everyone is benefiting from the, the work that goes into uh, set organizing and setting up the tournaments and the games and everything. Uh, but And usually when it's a team that sets up the, the tournament, they're the ones that actually, you know, uh, get the venue and they, they charge money from the teams to pay for the venue materials. And, and you know, that that's all fine. This is a reasonable economic system. The part of the Quidditch community that suffers from the tragedy of the commons is the refereeing. The, the referee is actually taking it in the pants in two huge ways. And uh, both of these ways are related directly to the tragedy of the commons. The, basic, the main way that you get a situation with the tragedy of the commons is, is when everyone, everyone has a limited amount of resources. And for, to, to go back to sort of more industry-related uh, tragedy of the commons, let's assume, let's pretend, let's do a hypothetical real quick. Let's pretend there's three companies uh, three corporations, and they each run a factory on a, on, a, on a lake or a river or by the ocean. And they're making money from their factory, which they need in order to have profits and to pay all their employees and pay their leases and whatever, who cares. And some of that money has to go to move, removing the waste, right? They're to produce, producing a waste product and leaving aside the CO2, which is a big problem also. Let's say they're producing some kind of toxic waste. They have to pay someone or put one of their own employees in a huge truck and they have to ship this toxic waste to somewhere where it can be disposed of safely, where it's not hurting anyone or anything. That could potentially be expensive to do that. And if the name of the game is to make money, then one or potentially all three of these companies are going to be uh, invested in having some way of, of getting rid of their waste more cheaply. This is This is not unusual, this is normal. Uh, this is why the EPA exists. The EPA is the United States' community organization to combat the tragedy of the commons because it would be cheaper for these companies to dump their toxic waste in the river and then they save money that they can put in their owners' pockets or potentially in their employees' pockets if they really want to make uh, you know they really want to make this more popular somehow. And and if one company is cheating and doing this, that tends to make the other participants more likely to cheat as well. There's actually a lot of really interesting um, social psychology studies where they'll have people um, play some kind of game and there's a cheating kind of way to do it. And if a confederate starts cheating, everyone else does it. It's so easy to, to have that start happening. Um, and it's the same thing. If you are now at a competitive disadvantage because you're actually doing what you're supposed to, you're shipping your toxic waste away uh, in, in on trucks instead of just dumping it in the river and you're staring across the river at this other company that's that's saving money by not doing the thing it's supposed to do that can really that can really get you chapped and you may start considering doing it yourself so it's sort of averting the tragedy of the commons requires common investment in in the, the overall good in the good in the greater good that's really what it comes down to because you are have to make a sacrifice 
especially if the other side is cheating. But even if they're not, even if all three companies are actually doing what they're supposed to and the EPA is, is on them, they, they really, you know, there's, you really have to have some motivation to want to do the right thing. And hopefully that motivation is the greater good. So when it comes to refereeing, there's two ways that the tragedy of the commons impacts um, the Quidditch community and makes refereeing difficult and unsafe. One way is that, and kind of the more obvious way, the way that you're probably thinking of when I first said it, is that people mistreat referees in Quidditch a lot compared to a lot of other sports. And the reasons for this are manyfold. And, and just, just at a guess, probably one of the major ones is it's not... Well, two major ones. One is that Quidditch is hard to referee correctly. It's easy to make mistakes. The referee's eyes can't be everywhere. I mean, how many other sports involve dodgeballs besides dodgeball? That complicates everything. And then another thing is that because there are not enough dedicated referees, like crews of people who just referee, you end up making people who are also players, who are also in their early to mid-20s, referee other games that they're not playing in. And that's, you know, that that's not common. That any sport that's been around a long time, you never do that. You never have, like in tennis or baseball or none of these. You never have a a referee who is actually also a player just on a third third party team that's not currently playing. That's that's insane. That's just the fact that we do that is kind of weird. But I guess it's kind of a necessity. We have to have these large referee crews because originally before we had these large referees crew, when it used to be a small referee crew. It was even worse because calls would get missed like crazy. Um, so I'm not advocating taking away referees at all. It's a hard job. It's hard to do well. The problem is for whatever combination, and again, like I mentioned with social psychology, once someone you see someone else cheating, it, it encourages you to cheat. And I don't just mean cheating in, against the rules. I don't think that's super common. I think what it is is that you can gain a competitive edge if you argue uh, the referee, especially if the referee is not doing a great job, which, you know, happens. I'm a referee and I don't always do a great job. I think sometimes I do a bad job. Uh, but some people will try and work the ref. They'll try and work the referee to like just beg for every single thing. They'll try and argue every single call just to wear down the referee. And the thing is, it works. It gets that, that, that team a competitive edge. So just like dumping toxic waste, now the other teams are looking and say, hey, man, we need to work the referees too. We need to argue back. Or even if it's not intentionally uh, a, a, a goal of, of wearing down the ref, it just is like, well, look, they're arguing their side. We need to argue our side. Like, we, it's just to remain competitive. And it's a very harsh pill to swallow to watch the other team argue, argue, argue. And for you to say, well, even if it affects the game, we're not going to argue because we're going to try and not dunk dump toxic waste. We're going to do the right thing and respect the ref and not argue with the ref all the time. Um, that's a hard thing to do. And that's, a, that's not everyone has what it takes to make that call when there's pressure the other way. And and that's understandable. And so part of the problem is just the culture of, well, there's enough teams out there with people argue, argue, arguing that you know they wear down the refs. And then and then the other teams that maybe in a neutral situation wouldn't argue, but now they feel like they kind of have to to keep up. And ultimately, that's kind of just in or just like with the analogy of companies dumping toxic waste to stay competitive with their competitors, you got these teams that are arguing with the refs to stay competitive. 
and that's awful. And if you're in charge of a team, please don't do that. Treat, try and say, well, even if it loses us the game, and that's a very hard thing to say because a lot of people come into the sport very competitive. It is the hardest thing to say to your team, even if it loses us the game, we're not going to argue with the refs. If it makes the difference between winning and losing the game, you think, oh, okay, just this one time and argue with the refs. Like, that's how the tragedy of the commons works. You you aren't willing to make the sacrifice for the greater good. And so, you know, and, and so it's understandable that that would be a decision that ends up getting made or just kind of not even an intentional decision, maybe beforehand everyone's like, okay, respect the refs, respect the refs. But like in the middle of a really tough game of the finals or semifinals, and the other team argues something and starts getting away with stuff. You just like, oh man, I just gotta, I just gotta argue this one time back. But then what you're doing is you're setting a precedent, because how when, how big is too big? How big is not big enough for it to matter? And that's one of the tragedy of the comments. And then there's another one on top of that, which is that referees in Quidditch are mistreated, so they quit. And then we replace them with new referees, and the new referees don't have a lot of experience. And a major reason for this is that there's another limited resource. Besides winning, wins are a limited resource. So you're fighting over those in the tournament. There's another limited resource, which is practice time. So what happens is these teams are getting new people. They put them together. All right, let's practice. We only have a month until this tournament. We only have six practices. Let's make them count. Let's learn all the things, practice all the things. We want to be competitive. Again, the goal is to be competitive. So what happens is no one teaches their players how to ref. They're throwing them out there and saying, yeah, just call beats. You know, that's <laughs> that's not enough. And so the tragedy of the commons in this case is that people are not taking the time to train players who are also going to be refs how to referee because the time to learn the offensive system more, get better, more physically stronger, is so limited that it's a precious resource and you're not willing to give it up on training referees. And that is, uh, that's a big mistake, unfortunately, that you're asking people to, to ref without ever giving them any experience refing. Unfortunately, I've had to do that too. Um, and mostly for goal refs, I've been like, okay, well, well, actually, here's a trick. I know it's usually not allowed uh, a lot of tournaments to say no only one goal ref but whenever possible when i was in charge of the Thermopylae cup i actually was like nah you can put multiple goal refs back there so you can have them shadow so whenever possible i would have an experienced goal ref and a new goal ref and they would shadow they would go work together right and so like and i think there should be more of that here i'm advocating here for normalizing goal ref shadowing just to get people involved get them started and plus it gives someone to talk to when the game's on the other side of the field uh, you know, and maybe a high level in a high level tournament or high level games, a bracket play, maybe that's not okay. But like, come on, we gotta get people on ramped, on boarded to refereeing in a low stakes way. Because if the first time they do it is high stakes, people get traumatized. Actually, the first time I refed, I didn't ref again for a year and a half because it was really awful. And finally, I started to be like, well, look, someone has to do it. I better do it. I better learn. Even though it was awful, I think I can. I can structure it in a way that I can get into it. And I started goal refing and I worked way up to ARing. And I have head ref, and I'm not a great head ref. I don't think I'm that good. I do it because I have to, because the community needs it. And I'm sure a lot of head refs say the same thing. And that sucks that we're asking that of those people who are willing to do it, not necessarily that they're great at it or whatever. Um, or even if they are great at it, we're asking, asking them to do it too much because 
they should be they shouldn't have to, to fall on them there's a lot of people that have quit quidditch quit refereeing who are good and just couldn't take the abuse so that is the tragedy of the commons and that's something we're facing in quidditch and that's something we have to work on as a community because as i mentioned there was a, there is a proof a proof that exists that the tragedy of the commons can be circumvented it can be circumvented with community organization and support um that's not guaranteed right it's not a, a myth that's actually what a video i saw the myth of the tragedy of the commons I was like do you not know that global warming is a thing right now because of the tragedy of the commons like it's not a myth it's something that is a threat it's like it's like saying that like now that we have defibrillators and doctors and stuff that's like saying heart attacks are a myth no they're not a myth we just have treatments for them now but you still have to do those treatments so yeah this is the drill this of the is week. the drill of the week. Drill of the week. One of my favorite parts about doing this podcast is is imagining the listener guessing what the drill is going to be. So yeah, that's right, baby. You guessed it. Uh, this drill is how to train your referees. So this drill can work with uh, King of the Hill. It can also work with uh, Ninja Duel, which is written up in the Journal of Brew Mounted Sports, uh, issue two. That came out June 1st. Uh, it's at jbms.howtoplayquidditch.org. Um, and basically any kind of beater drill where it's like a one-on-one or a two-on-one beater drill, or you can do it with a two-on-two beater drill even. The idea is that you also have a referee, uh, an assistant referee. Actually, ideally you have an assistant referee who's new and then you have someone who's like instructing them. Or I guess at first, maybe if you have a new AR, you're, you're, you're having them shadow, um, shadow the, the experiences in the referee and they kind of taught as the the each beater on beater clash happens you'll have the assistant referee uh call the beats and clears safes or whatever um you'll ideally if you do it with a boundary line so you can do um, bludger turnovers and stuff like that that's important that's an important thing you can practice because uh quidditch has had boundary lines for not too long and not everyone is good with all those rules yet uh, and the nice thing about this is that usually, often, often not, not always, but often beaters are also called to be beater refs, to be assistant referees. So you, as long as you have at least three beaters, you can rotate them. So you have two beaters battling and the third one is acting as assistant referee. And actually, the best way to do this drill is also to occasionally have the beaters try and cheat. You have the, you actually say to, in advance to everyone, okay, uh, so every once in a while, I want one of you guys to cheat, to break the rule. The assistant referee has to get confident in calling back to hoops or calling for a card. Hey, let's pretend the head ref's over there, call for a card. What would you do? Just that what would you do the first time is kind of tough. Like, oh, I, what do I do, right? But after you model it and after they do it a couple of times, it doesn't take much. And I'm like, okay, now I got it. Hey, uh, head ref, I have a yellow card on the da da whoever, right? Another uh element you can add to this drill is you can put one you see let's say there's two bludgers on the in play the third bludger you can put it on one side or the other like uh either like put a a a cone with the bludger like okay your teammate has a bludger or something like that so that you can practice third bludger, bludger interference immunity stuff like that you can practice this so uh and then it also helps train your and here's the other thing this is really helpful not only to get your referees better, but this helps your beaters with their beater awareness. This helps them 
know, all right, so what should I do here in this situation? What if their partner has a bludger? Uh, you know, can I call immunity here or not? And if would it be manipulating immunity if I didn't and so forth? Um, so that is, I'm making the argument that no, people aren't going to do this because their practice time is so precious. But in fact, not only is this for the greater good, making their own refereeing team better, but also that their referee, their beater team now is getting more the kind of practice they need to, to, to know what refs are going to call and not call, to know uh, how to behave in different situations, how to work as a team. Uh, just kind of get... Beating is can be very cerebral, very much a lot of... When you watch beaters practice, often it's a lot of, what if he's there and you got to do this? And so that is good. You need that talking. And talking stuff through, you know, with your, your teammates is a big part of making the Quidditch team have that that chemistry that you need in order to be successful. So don't treat this like it's your vegetables. I know you, you can easy to think of it that way, but this really can make your team a better contributor to the community and it can make your team just better. Are you a seeker? A seeker after truth? I'm more of a chaser, really. Well, this one ran a little long, but I was just having so much fun getting so passionate about something that I worry about a lot. You know... I've heard it said to my face by people who play Quidditch that the sport's dying. And, and you know, I think that that's something legitimate we have to think about. Um, you know, that just because it's my argument is not, no, it's not dying. Because, yeah, it, it is dying. We're all dying. Everyone is dying at all times. Um, you know, I, I guess technically babies aren't, they have to grow up before they start dying. But just because we're all dying and we're all going to die eventually doesn't mean we shouldn't do our best to improve ourselves and enjoy the ride. So in the same way, uh, this is a way you can help contribute to the Quidditch community and stave off the ever-present specter of death. <laughs> I know that's not very cheerful, but uh, as a biologist, that is kind of where my mind goes. Um, I don't think it's good to avoid the conversation. And I think just downplaying it, oh no, people have been saying that the whole time. Well, it is true that it is possible the sport can die out. It can't act like that's impossible. There's only so many people who play the sport and are interested and passionate about the sport, and if they all quit, then that's it. The sport's over. So we have to try and do better in order to keep building, keep rebuilding the sport at all times. Just like in life, our cells are constantly dying. So they're rebuilding themselves. And in the same way, as people are constantly quitting Quidditch, uh, we have to replace them, we have to recruit new people, make this a worthwhile experience for them, and we have to uh, build a sport that they should want to play. So I don't know if it's very cheerful, but hopefully it's uh, insightful and makes sense. So uh, if you made it to the end of the episode, thanks for listening. Oh, sorry if it was a little bit of a long one, but I just had too much fun here. Uh, I'm on uh, Twitter at HowToPlayQuid. Feel free to uh, start five with me there if you like. And uh, the uh, podcast is available on Spotify and iTunes, and it is also at cat.howtoplayquish.org. Again, I'm Alejo Enriquez, and uh, thanks for listening. Catch you next time.